last week was Easter, and we looked at the, the how the stories of the resurrection uh, remind us that we can trust Jesus. That that uh, Jesus uh, predicted over and over again. He predicted the 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 events of the Holy Week, uh, uh, the events of where he would be arrested, he would be uh, tried and crucified, um, he would be dead and buried, and then on the third day he would rise from the dead. Jesus predicted this, and uh, no matter how many times he predicted it, nobody understood or, or uh, could make any sense of what he was saying. And because he, he then went and did it, it gives us confidence that if the, the most uh, ridiculous things that Jesus ever said, the most um, unreasonable, irrational things Jesus ever said are true, that gives us grounds to hope in everything else he said. So, so what we've been uh, looking at is the question of, can we trust Jesus? Not just can we believe things about Jesus, but can we lean our lives against Jesus? Can, can we trust in Jesus? And, and uh, what, what we believe as, as followers of Jesus is that yes, we can. We can trust Jesus, um, because we believe that Jesus understands what our problem is. Jesus understands our condition. And whatever other problems, however it manifests, Jesus understands that our underlying problem, the thing behind our, our relational problems or, or our emotional problems, our, our financial problems, our work problems, the underlying problem underneath everything else is that we, as, as people collectively and individually, have been disconnected from God. And so what Jesus did is he acted to fix that problem. Jesus has already acted to reconnect us to God. And so Jesus has become that connection, the thing that connects us to God. Jesus is that conduit. Jesus is that, that pipeline that enables us to, to relate to God in a way that we haven't when we were cut off from God. So, so Jesus says it's a better way to live connected to God than alienated from God. And then he acted in order to reconnect us to God. So uh, Jesus is that intermediary. Jesus is that, that connection. Jesus is the thing that connects us to God. And so the question we have is, is are there limits? Um, are, are there limits on what Jesus can do as that intermediary, as that person who represents the other to us, as Jesus represents God to us? Are there limits uh, to his competence, to his authority? Uh, you know, if you go to the hospital, if, if you get into a bike accident and you need stitches, you go to the hospital and, and, uh, the person at the, at the front desk, when you're filling out the forms, they say everything's going to be okay. Well, that's nice, but they're not the doctor. So the question is, when you have an intermediary, when you have somebody who stands between you and the other one, do they have the authority to say the things that they, that they're saying? Do they have the competence to deliver the things that they've promised? Um, uh, are they willing to? You can imagine a, an admitting clerk at a hospital who says, well, you know what, that's not too bad. Uh, you, you should, you'll learn faster if you, if you have to deal with that on your own. So, so do they have the willingness to help us? So we have questions. When we have an intermediary, like Jesus is with God, the questions we've got is, what are the bounds? What are the limits? What are the limits of his authority or his competence to be the intermediary from God, the intermediary for God? And that is the question we're looking at in our lesson today. Jesus is, is in the same situation during his earthly ministry. Uh, this is a time, uh, uh, well before the resurrection, well before his, his crucifixion. Jesus 
is a wandering rabbi, and he's been wandering around the countryside. He's been over on the east side of the River Jordan in an area called Gennesaret, and he's done some miracles, but now he has returned to his own hometown. Matthew tells us here in the reading, he says, after getting into a boat, he crossed the sea and came to his own town. His own town is, is Capernaum. It was a fishing village at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Um, uh, if you remember the Christmas stories, you know Jesus came from Nazareth. Uh, at some point during his life, we don't know when, uh, Jesus moved to um, Capernaum, and he spent most of his uh, adult ministry in Capernaum. So this is the place where people know him, and he knows the people there. Jesus is back in his hometown, and that's really the problem because because people have heard these rumors about Jesus. They've heard, here's a guy who has opened up people's understandings of God. He's a great communicator. He's he's told people things about God that they've never understood before. They walk away from his from his talks and say, I wish I'd always known that. I never understood God that way, and you've made that clear to me. You tell me that God's like a father who runs for the prodigal or like um, a Samaritan who sees you when you've been overcome on the road and helps you back to health. Uh, they say, thank you, I, I understand Jesus better now. I mean, I understand God better now. Jesus is a great communicator. Or, or they say, I've heard that he's been doing miracles off in the country of the Gennesarets. So, so they say, okay, Jesus has some kind of a connection to God. He's, he's able to work miracles. Um, I, I've heard these rumors about how he can do miracles. But, but this is Jesus. I mean, I know the house he lives in. I know his family. I know his friends. I mean, uh, he's from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? They're saying, I've heard some great things about Jesus, but surely there's some limits. Um, there's people who work in the synagogue. Okay, there's, there's a guy at the synagogue. He's connected to God. And I kind of understand how he's connected to God. There's people at the temple in Jerusalem, and I understand how they're connected to God. But Jesus, I don't understand how he's connected to God. How, what are, what are the limits on Jesus' connection to God? Because he's, he's from, he's from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. And look at the people he hangs out with. He hangs out with fishermen. He hangs out with tax collectors. Um, oh, I, I can't figure out what kind of Connection does Jesus have to God? That's the question that they're wrestling with in this reading. Jesus has shown up in his hometown, and they're going, we need to understand what's up with you, Jesus. And then Matthew tells us some people were carrying a paralyzed man lying in a bed. If you're wondering, um, is this the same guy with the, the hole in the roof? This is. Um, there's three three accounts of this of this event, uh, three different biographies of, of Jesus talk about this, and the other two mention how uh, there was such a crowd around Jesus that in order to get to Jesus, they had to knock a hole in the roof, and then they lowered their friend uh, through the through the uh, roof um, on his mattress. So it's that event. This paralyzed man is is laid, on G- laid before Jesus on his bed, and Jesus sees their faith, and he says to the paralytic, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, for most of us, if, if this was happening right here, right, you know, Jesus is the guest preacher today, and um, I'm in the corner scribbling to, to take notes for next week. Um, and and somebody breaks a hole in the roof, they lower a paralytic in here, and we'd all go, cool. And we lean in, we want to see this, this guy get healed. I mean, that's what people would do. Everyone's leaning in, waiting to see if Jesus can do those miracles that we've heard about from the other country. And then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And I think at that point there'd be this kind of, Everyone would, you know, well, you know, sure, fine, whatever. 
Um, uh, people, for us, a lot of the air would leave the room at that point because that's not really what we would like to see Jesus do here in a church service. But I think that that's because we're coming at it from a different perspective than most people um, around the world today and down through the years have have not had the same problem we've had as we hear this. Uh, for, for most of us, we draw a pretty sharp line between the spirit and the body. We say, you know, there's, you know, things going on in my life that I'm not pl- proud of or that, or that uh, hurt me because of the way somebody has dealt with me. Um, and that's not going to have any kind of a bodily impact. Um, and most people down through the years have, have not seen it that way. Most people say that there is a very strong connection between body and spirit. And in fact, today, even in the West, even with uh, advanced medicine, we're finding out things like, um, uh, it's been a couple of decades now, but for the last, a couple of generations, we've understood brain chemistry um, is related to depression. People can can become depressed because of their brain chemistry. And so there's drugs that you can use to treat depression. That's one of the reasons that people have depression. Uh, I was just seeing something the other day. Apparently, there's a chemical in chocolate. This this is only intuitive if you're, if you're a chocolate fan. But there's a chemical in chocolate that makes the gut bacteria happy. And then... They make you happy. And um, so we're learning that there is a connection between the, the body and the spirit. But for the people in Jesus' audience, there would have been no doubt that there was a connection. And Jesus has this, has this ability to look into people's lives and say the thing that they need to hear. So this is not in the Bible. I'm just, I'm, just imagine. Suppose, suppose what Jesus knew about this person. It's his hometown. He sees this person, and he knows why he's paralyzed. He knows that this person has a drinking addiction and he went to the job site one day and he fell off a roof and he's been paralyzed because of this this drinking addiction he's been dealing with. And Jesus says, look, I understand you're blaming yourself now. You're saying that I brought this on myself because I couldn't conquer my addiction. And maybe the thing that 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 person most needed to hear was, your sins are forgiven. Or maybe maybe what happened is he had a midlife crisis and he had an affair or a string of affairs and then he dumped his wife and he got a shiny red sports chariot and he was driving his chariot as fast as he could go and he ran into a bridge and he's been paralyzed since then. And what he needs to hear is that God doesn't hate him. That this problem in his body is not a sign that God has cut him off forever. So maybe that's what Jesus is speaking to him. Jesus is saying, your sins are forgiven. God doesn't hate you. And this paralyzed man can take hope in that. And maybe even hope that that there is hope for his body as well. But the scribes, the scribes are scandalized. They hear what Jesus is saying and they say, that is off limits. Nobody can do that. Nobody can speak forgiveness into someone's life except for God. And so Jesus performs this little demonstration for him. Uh, the, the scribes say this man is blaspheming. Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Stand up and walk? Now, again, we can, we can puzzle this through, but remember, Jesus is in his hometown. Okay? He lives here. He's not saying, If you're a confidence man, you can say anything and then skip town and good luck. He's saying, they're going to come back to you tomorrow and say, hey, he's still not walking. 
uh, and the next day, and the next day. There's only so long you could be able to fool people. So he says, which is easier to say? It's it's a lot easier to say that his sins are forgiven because you can't disprove that. But he says, give me something else. Give me something you can disprove. Give me something, anything at all that you can disprove. How about this? I'll tell him to stand up and walk. And if he does, then you'll have reason to believe the rest of what I've got to say. And so he does. He tells the man, stand up, take your mat, and go home. And the man gets up, takes his mat, and goes home. And we don't know. that We don't hear what the scribes think. Maybe that convinces them. Maybe they say, well, you know, he picked the easy one. And he did pick the easy one. He'd already done the hard one. But he says, I can demonstrate the easy one. And maybe the scribes weren't convinced, but the crowds were. Look what the crowds say. When the crowds saw it, they were filled with awe, and they glorified God. Um, this word awe, uh, different translations translate it differently. Um, it's about split about equally between awe and they were afraid. So this is not a, a hey, gnarly dude, it's awesome. This is not a, that's a cool thing, Jesus, do that trick again. This is a hair standing on end, um, you, know, uh, you know, goose pimples. Uh, they went away afraid because they did not know that God connected to people the way that Jesus is connected. They knew about the way God connected to the guy at church. They knew about the guy at the temple. They knew about that kind of connection. And they walked home saying, this guy's connected to God differently. Jesus says, so you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so they go home glorifying God who had given such authority to human beings. So Jesus wants the crowd, he wants us really to Believe what he said, which is the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says, there is no limit. Whatever it is you think, uh, whatever it is you're wondering, can God help me with this? You're wondering, can God help me with the thing that's going on at work, the thing that's going on in my relationship? If, if, if your question goes like this, can God help me with blank? What Jesus wants you to know is the answer in him is yes. And in fact, the Apostle Paul writes those very words in the, in the passage we heard earlier in our service from 2 Corinthians. Paul says, in him, all the promises of God are yes. You cannot go wrong if you say, does Jesus accurately represent God's intentions for me? And the answer is, yes, they do. So what's the application? I think the application for us as a church is pretty straightforward. Jesus looks at these four men. We Actually, it doesn't say four here. Again, in Mark's Gospel, it tells us there's four of them. Jesus looks at these guys who bring their friend to to, to him. And uh, it says uh, they were carrying a paralyzed man. When Jesus saw their correct theology, he said, or no, how about this? When Jesus saw their perfect attendance at church. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I am trying to make it funny. Jesus doesn't comment on the fact that they tithe or the fact that they attend church regularly or the fact that they've got every single part of the Bible memorized. He doesn't comment on any of those things. What Jesus notices is they have faith. What kind of faith do they have? They have the kind of faith like this. They they don't know about um, uh, spirit-body duality and the enlightenment thinking and things like that. They have a very pragmatic approach. They've got a friend. He can't walk. And they think maybe Jesus can help him. And that's what Jesus sees as faith. 
They say, look, I don't know about mind, body, spirit. I do know my friend is hurting. I'm going to take him to Jesus. So the application for us is to take people to Jesus. Sometimes, sometimes we take them, we take them from a distance. We take them in prayer. They don't want to go. There are people who are estranged from, from God, um, and they are hurting so bad that they have no way to, to even come near Jesus. And, and they will, they will resist if you try to, try to take them. And that's okay. Take them to God in prayer. Take them to Jesus in prayer. But sometimes they want to get to Jesus and the church stands in the way. So, so an application for us is to say, are we treating people who want to get to Jesus like these men? Or are we simply saying, look, I'm not standing in your way. Go ahead. Go to Jesus. Uh, the question for us is, are we actively working to bring people to Jesus? Uh, or are we saying, no, our traditions and our rituals and the way we've always done it are more important than you getting to Jesus? Jesus commends the faith of people who actively bring people to him. And then finally, if it's too much for you to do by yourself, if the burden is too big for you to do by yourself, recruit a team. Because Jesus shows in this passage he has all the authority of God. He has been given unique authority. He can speak authoritatively on behalf of God. He can bring grace and, in particular, forgiveness. Notice what he says here. This is about forgiveness. Some people think God's got forgiveness, has got plenty of power to do this or to do that, but forgiveness is where they draw the line. Jesus is particularly interested here in forgiveness. So can Jesus, can Jesus, um, answer any question? Scriptures tell us the answers to God in Christ are yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Help us to be the kind of people that, that we read about here. People who, who see a problem, who see someone hurting, who see a family devastated, who see a nation in ruins, people who see disaster, man-made or natural, people who need what you have the ability to bring them and who say, let's get them to Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.